That was a powerful sermon by our brother on what shall we do with Jesus. And I want, to, I want us to consider that question as we progress into our next sermon here. I'd like to invite your attention to Acts chapter 8. And in Acts chapter 8, we read that a persecution arose against the church at Jerusalem, and they were scattered everywhere. But on a positive note, as the theme of our meeting is, they saw different fields, they saw that they were white unto harvest, and they went everywhere preaching the gospel of Jesus. Philip goes down to a region in Samaria, and those who heard his preaching believed in Jesus, and they were baptized, men and women both. And in verse 26, the scripture says in Acts chapter 8, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road, which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And it's on this road that Philip comes uh, upon a chariot of an Ethiopian eunuch who was returning home from Jerusalem where he was worshiping. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah, is what the scripture says. So Philip comes up to the chariot and he says, Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch, as we well know, answers and says, How can I unless someone were uh, to teach me? So we read that Philip preached Jesus, which led to the eunuch asking, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Philip replies that if you believe with all your heart, you may, which the eunuch makes his confession of faith, and Philip baptizes him. The eunuch goes on his way rejoicing. The only thing hindering this man was an assessment and an acknowledgement of his belief in Jesus. But that led me to think about the question, what are some things that hinder people from being baptized today? And if you're in this audience and you haven't obeyed the gospel yet, what hinders you from being baptized this very night? The Bible stresses the importance of baptism. We have in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21, Peter says that there's an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For some, the hindrance is a misunderstanding or an ignorance concerning what the Bible has to say about baptism and salvation. They may hear someone uh, read to them, or they might read for themselves in the Bible, John chapter 3 and verse 16, in which the scripture says that God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And this isn't the only passage in this chapter alone that we could reference. In verse 18, John says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 36 of John chapter 3, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him forever. There's passages such as that, but also I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, and Paul says to the church at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and uh, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. A person may be led to think, okay, all I have to do is believe in Jesus and I will be saved. And today we use the word believe in our everyday language to mean a mental assent of something being true. But what is belief in the Bible? We can learn about Bible belief by looking at an example of someone who believed in God. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, the Bible says that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. So what did this mean for Abraham? I think if we look to his example, we could better understand what the Bible has to say 
about how Abraham believed in God and how he had faith in God. And now I want to go to James chapter 2. And in James chapter 2, we'll read verse 18 through 26. And James says, But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well, even the demons believe, and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So what kind of works did Abraham have in this passage? It says that he had works of faith. Now, does that mean that we earn salvation? The Bible says more about Abraham's faith and his works in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 1 through 4, Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has a, uh, a found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So Paul clarifies that Abraham cannot boast about his obedience to God as if he had earned it, like he might earn wages at a job. Our passage in Ephesians chapter 2 says that we have been saved by grace through faith. Salvation is a gift of God. We do not do something that uh, puts God in debt to us. However, Gifts can have terms and conditions. I can illustrate that this evening uh, with the illustration of a coupon. One person has a coupon that they receive in the mail. They present it uh, wherever they need to present it, and they receive the benefits of that coupon. Another has a coupon, but he chooses not to present it. Thus, he does not receive the benefits of that coupon. The conditions of a coupon can also expire. Likewise, one hears the gospel obeys the gospel, and they receive salvation by uh, grace through faith. Another says, I want the pardon, but I don't need to be baptized to be saved. Thus, they receive not salvation. And one simply hears the gospel, and perhaps an unbelief might say, well, I don't need salvation. So thus, they do not receive salvation. You might be thinking, who would reject salvation? And in April of 1830, a very unique case was brought before the Supreme Court. There was a man by the name of George Wilson who was convicted and sentenced to death for murdering a U.S. postal worker who caught him robbing mail. Now, this man had friends who could pull certain presidential strings. Andrew Jackson, who was the president at the time, issued a pardon, but Wilson refused the pardon. Think about that. Why would anyone reject an opportunity to have life? That would be insane. But is it not what people do when they reject salvation on the terms and conditions that God has set forth? Anyway, it was brought before the Supreme Court on January 26th of 1833, and John Marshall's ruling was thus. A pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential, and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, 
and if it be rejected, we have discovered no power in a court to force it on him. Friend, do not reject the pardon of God. Be baptized tonight for the forgiveness of your sins and accept our loving God's gift that he has for you. Another reason that people might give for not wanting to be baptized that hinders them, they might say, my family does not want me to be baptized. Uh, what I mean by this, there's a scenario that come, sometimes presents itself in the church, and that is when one brings a friend or a significant other to the assembly of the saints. And when this becomes a regular occurrence, it becomes more clear of what God commands of this individual in order to become a member of the body of Christ and to obtain salvation. And perhaps, maybe I'm describing your relationship to someone tonight. They brought you to a service, and they brought you to service after service in the past, and you are interested in becoming a member, but you know what that your family would not approve of your desires. Jesus addressed this concern, I believe, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 37 that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What did Jesus mean by that? Does he mean that we should treat our family with utter spite and disrespect? Well, I don't believe that. But the ultimate point that we can draw is that there are more important things to be preparing for uh, than this earthly life and more than making mom and dad happy in this life. We continue to progress closer and closer to eternity every second, every day, every year. Paul would say in Acts chapter 20 and in verse 24, but I, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He also would say in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 8, Philippians chapter 3 verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. And what could be more dear to us than our earthly families? God bless the one who makes their stand with God. But another reason a person might give that they are hindered from being baptized, they might say that I'm not ready yet, or I'm waiting for a more opportune time. And often when a person expresses uh, this being the reason why they're hindered from baptism, they know, and likely they admit that they know, what they need to do to be saved. But often, a hindering uh, factor a person uh, has thought of or expressed is that they're not ready to be baptized because they're afraid of, on a superficial basis, what is expected of them afterwards. Especially men, young or old. For uh, women, they may be baptized and may occasionally be asked to make the loaf. But some men wrestle with the idea, what if they ask me to lead a song? Or what if they ask me to pray, especially at a large meeting such as this? And while these participatory tasks may seem uh, daunting to a new convert, uh, there is nothing to fear or to be anxious of. The anxiety should be the lost state you find your soul in tonight. You need to realize it's not going to matter if your fear is to get baptized tonight and then to be asked to participate at next Lord's Day service if the Lord comes back this week, if he comes back tonight. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, Peter says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Peter says that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Think about that. 
No one expects their house to be broken into. The thief counts on the element of surprise in breaking into a person's house. And so will the day of the Lord be a surprise. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 through 13, we read of ten virgins. And we're not going to read this passage for the sake of time. I have less than three minutes. But uh, what was the difference between these women that were spoken of in this passage? What made the foolish virgins foolish? All were virgins, and they all had lamps, and they all had oil in their lamps, and they were all waiting for the bridegroom. They all fell asleep, but only five had been prepared by bringing extra oil. The point Jesus made that it is foolish to be unprepared. How much more foolish do you suppose to knowingly be unprepared and withholding yourself from salvation because you're afraid to participate in the service too soon? Brethren, I speak to you now and say that my encouragement is when uh, arranging services offer this to new converts, but be understanding of a new convert's fears. Offer to teach them whatever they want to know privately and teach brethren how to conduct items of worship. I'll tell you a little bit about myself. Personally, I was baptized April 11th of 2010, but I didn't lead my first song for two months. And I didn't give my first sermon for five years. Now, was I asked? Of course I was asked, but my requests were respected until I worked up the courage to try uh, something new. I'll tell you something else. I wasn't forced to be on the stage tonight. I'm standing here and my other preaching brethren stand behind this podium because of a burning desire that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says, Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. And if you are hindered tonight from being baptized because you're afraid of the responsibility Focus, first of all, on the condition of your soul, obey the gospel, and participate as your talents develop. I also want to say along the lines of people saying that I'm waiting for a more opportune time, that Satan's vocabulary is not right now or I'll do this tomorrow, but salvation's vocabulary is now and today. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the scripture says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you are in this audience this evening and you are hindered from being baptized, perhaps for a reason that I've spoken of or another reason, uh, get with me and talk with me. We will address your concerns and we will help you in whatever way that we can. Thank you.